everyone. This is The Last Coffee House. I read notes about breaking the spell. It was written by Daniel Dennett. Dennett? Den? 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 Dennett? I don't know. Daniel. We'll call him Danny. We'll check with John Frum on that. Part two. <laughs> Should I keep going? Yeah. Go ahead. You want to do it. So just go ahead. I was trying to help you because you can't breathe. Uh-huh. I thought maybe we could put one a, a headphone in my ear, and then you could be in the other room and talking, <laughs> and then I will just talk it, say it into the microphone. All right, so back to part two. Why do they do those things? Well, of course, there's the false positives. Not on a pregnancy test. I don't know what it refers to, but probably something to do with hyperactivity, like overdiagnosis of ADHD. Did you know that there's compounding factors? What could present as ADHD because actually <laughs> autism Moving sometimes. On. Okay. Number five is burial to remove. Uh, uh, also, you hit the table a whole bunch in between and flailed your little hands. Do you know what? That there was one where I was like, oh, I can hear myself playing with the fan. Yeah. Okay. Abertu everything to make sneaky. That means attribute <laughs> everything to agency. <laughs> on to part three. The about the value of religion or role in society. Why aren't there any more notes about that? Fascinating analysis. That is so helpful to illuminate what this book is about. Uh, number four. Shamanic, sus- shamanic susceptibility and the paradox of athletic belief. That means like if you think you're really good at a sport, you're probably not. Kind of like the Dunning-Kruger effect. That's not at all what it means. <laughs> <laughs> I don't listen. That's not what it means. It's like you're going to use any of this anyway. I'm going to use some of it. Number four, the response. Not a fan of bright. We're going to turn on all the lights, put on some blackout curtains. See, this is why I'm doing this, because you have to do that. Are these all part of the notes too? No. Oh, they start right here? Am I ready to lab it yet? So let's lab this. Limitations. I have no idea what I just talked about. I've never read the book, so that's probably going to weigh pretty heavily on this analysis. (laughs) (laughs) I'm pretty limited in my knowledge of this subject. That might have something to do with my uh, complete cluelessness. Silent leather letter or something. Uh, Silent leather, yes. (laughs) All right. All right. This is The Last Coffee House. Uh, Shoot me a line. Something at The Last Coffee House. I sent a tomato once. All right. See you next time, guys. Hey, The Last Coffee House. So you probably just heard some snippets from my co-host who's trying to fill in for me because I have horrible allergies right now and they won't break. She did fantastic. Uh, I'm just going to add a couple of points and and then we should be, the two of us together, have made a quality episode of Sam Harris Reading List. This one is Breaking the Spell by Daniel Dennett. Subtitle Religion as a Natural Phenomenon. It was published 2006. Of course, Daniel Dennett is like the fourth of the four horsemen of the apocalypse. He's generally the less heralded of the four, but this one actually had some good stuff, and I read some of other, some Dennett's other stuff. Contents. Part one discusses, can science study religion and should science, and should science study religion? He introduces the term bright to Richard Dawkins's dismay. <laughs> It's supposed to be a reference to atheists. Instead of atheists, you're supposed to call yourselves bright. Uh, like I said, Dawkins didn't like this much. He talked about evolution and cui bono, meaning who benefits. So that's the big question you have to ask when it comes to evolution. He talked about toxoplasmosis in cats. And that makes the, uh, when it gets into mice, it makes them carefree so the cats will eat them so that it gets passed on to other organisms. He discusses sexual reproduction. He brings up John Frum. Of course, everybody knows who John Frum was. Not a real person. 
It's the person that a religion was erected around, the mythical person, who was supposed to be a savior United States soldier that was supposed to return to a remote island where they built these makeshift, like, they had been stationed there during World War II, and to bring, they would bring, you know, a bunch of supplies and things in, in the course of what they were doing. And when they left, this religion developed around it, the, the, the locals, they'd make these makeshift towers, like air towers and runways and stuff, and, and built this whole religion about how he was going to return at some point. But the big point is, okay, in this section is, can science study religion and should it? Of course, Dennett answers that in the affirmative, yes, of course it should, it can and it should be studied. Part two provides theories about the origin of religion based on evolutionary biology and mimetics. So the question was, and I like, he goes a little deeper into the questions in thinking, okay, why don't religious beliefs crumble? And the straightforward explanations are things like it provides comfort, it provides an explanation, it supports group formation, but he sees it as it's actually much more complex. You have to look into, okay, why do they do these things? Why does it provide comfort? Why does it provide an explanation? And how does it support group? He talked about our tendency to see false positives all over the place and have a hyperactive mechanism for determining positives out there in the world, which everybody's heard of at some point that you hear the bush rustle. If you're more likely to think it's a tiger, you're less likely to be eaten by one, even if 99 times out of 100, it's just the wind, so that you could see how that would be benefit. Uh, he brought up one idea about how burial of the dead, how that, that became a ritual because it was removing corpses from around people. Of course, the, the bad smell, etc., would be all sorts of the, uh, the bacteria and stuff that could be toxic to living people, so it would make sense that that would be a reason to develop that ritual of burial. Humans like to attribute everything to agency, and he brought up cuteness, why we think babies are cute. It's not because there's some kind of an intrinsic value of cuteness. It's because we developed to think that babies are just cute enough that we're going to put up with all their nonsense and their freeloading for... <laughs> years and years and years. If we didn't have that, and our ancestors who didn't have that, didn't keep their babies around, so. Number three is about the value of religion or its role in society. So he's primarily interested in sparking the inquiry of figuring out what caused religion and what its role is in society. He brings up this idea of shamanic susceptibility, which was an interesting idea to be discussing. It's about how historically you've, you'd have shamans that say, okay, I can cure you or I can do this, do that. And people who are more susceptible to that kind of suggestion as a placebo are more likely, it's more likely to encourage that behavior as a religious practice. So, so that's something that would have been through evolution, it would have been either amplified or weeded out, you know, as time went on. So it makes sense of why we have something like the placebo effect now. So if we have a physiology that responds to that, and then the shaman starts using that, then it's something that could have been a benefit historically and developed the paradox of athletic belief. So the, the paradox is the more ridiculous the thing is that you believe, the stronger your faith is in demonstration in believing it. So it's this paradox. So the less evidence you have and the more ridiculous it is, the stronger your faith, since you do believe it, the stronger your faith must be. And he brought this idea, this is uh, relative to law, my area, but he brings up this idea of the attractive nuisance and that religions should be 
<laughs> should be responsible for being an attractive nuisance and the damages that occur therefrom. So an attractive nuisance in the law is that uh, if you have something on your property that's reasonably likely to be attractive or that you would be aware, I haven't studied this since property law in law school. I stayed away from property because the rule against perpetuities and all sorts of arcane crazy stuff. But the attractive nuisance is if there's something attractive on your property and something that's actually also negligently maintained and somebody enters your property because they're attracted by the nuisance and then injures themselves, that you could be responsible for the resulting damages, even though they didn't have, you know, permission or weren't supposed to be on your property. So he's saying applying that to a religion, a religion is an attractive nuisance. It provides all these attractive things, but also has all these bad things on the other side. So interesting, interesting idea. And then he provides some thoughts, uh, some parameters on how to study, study religion in general going forward, which uh, I applaud. Uh, some critical responses. I, I, I picked the bad critical responses. There was one, Leon Wesbeth. He's a former member of the editorial board of the Jewish Review of Books. He called the book in the New York Times, A Sorry Instance of Present-Day Scientism. <laughs> That's why I say this one. I love the term scientism. Oh, how ridiculous. An alleged to be a merry anthology of contemporary superstitions. Oh, well, the log in your eye, sir. <laughs> Oh, uh, what nonsense. So, uh, present-day scient scientism is, like, relying too much on science. I, I guess that's the pejorative framing of it. Uh, I'm sure there's there might be a, a gentler phra phrasing. But really, when somebody talks about scientism, they're talking about, oh, I'm criticizing you for relying too much on science. Uh, this other one's in a similar vein. It talks about a uh, professor of a private Catholic university, Charles Rubin, likened it in the New Atlantis to a tone-deaf music scholar, criticized his unwillingness to admit the limits of scientific rationality and accused him of deploying the same old enlightenment enlightenment tropes that didn't work all that well the first time around yeah why don't you just trash the enlightenment that didn't get you anywhere <laughs> Of course, religion is susceptible to scientific inquiry. It's quite honestly not as complex as I'm sure we'd like to make it out to be. My response in general, though, I'm not a fan of the term bright, I think I already said. I agree with such a premise. Religion is a natural phenomenon. The book still seems a little quaint reading it today after those, the four horsemen, kind of accomplished what they set out to accomplish. So the important point, you know, is that nothing's above scrutiny. Uh, like I said, I like the ideas of the shamanic susceptibility and the attractive nuisance religion is an attractive nuisance and the thing like in thinking about it the thing i really think we have to get we have to kind of nail down is the study of memetics and the way that ideas are passed from person to person how they survive how they mutate and evolve and who is susceptible and for what reasons to what kinds of ideas i think that's going to be the big thing that's going to blow wide open everything about religion and politics etc etc so we'll see if we ever get there but that's the last coffee house and i appreciate you listening. Thanks. Bye.